Hey guys, welcome to episode 131 of the JV Club with my lovely and charming guest, Jenny Wade. Uh, very, very, very happy to have had her on the podcast uh, from a new house. I've moved. Um, so I, for those of you who are stalking me, please let there be no one stalking me. I, uh, I, I guess I'll have to create new weird clues um, to try to tell you where I am <laughs> in an unhealthy way. Um, I wanted to just uh, do some quick shout outs. I want to thank Carson for your email. Um, Christian and Gil- uh, Gillian or Jillian, I guess. Um, I'm so glad that you are proudly sporting your uh, JV Club temporary tattoos. Um, super bad, Larry. You know, I always love an email from you, Roberto, as well. Uh, Remy and Cheryl, I want to thank you for your email. Jody, major shout out to you uh, as you take on the world. Congratulations to you, my dear. Uh, from the Nerdist page, I want to thank Tracy, Florencia, Aisha, and Jesper. And from Facebook, Christian, Jason, Jody, and Aaron. Um, guys, please enjoy this episode. I think it's a really great one. Um, and uh, I want to say quickly, for those of you living in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, that I will be at a ZoomiCon this weekend, spending my Halloween with Dante Bosco, uh, celebrating Cora, um, Oklahoma City style. So looking forward to that. And uh, I will be in the uh, next Thrilling Adventure Hour show. I'm trying to think of other things I can tell you. Those are the main ones. I hope everyone is doing great. And I will talk to you soon. Bye. Now entering Nerdist.com. <laughs> I want you to feel very comfortable in this warm water of the JV Club. <laughs> I feel I feel okay. There's not too many goosebumps. Um, really good. Although, having said that, this uh, new house, so this is the first podcast in the new house, so I want to congratulate you and thank you. I'm sure it's a big deal really? for you. It's not that big of a deal for me, but for you, it's probably a very big deal that this is my first podcast in this new house. I'm honored. It is yeah. actually kind of a big deal. This is like the sage burning of podcasts. Because I feel like nobody house. knows where we are right now. That's certainly true. Or how fancy we are in this new house. That's Except for me true. and you. You do for sure know the how fancy Other people will are. be like, oh yeah, I did that podcast. And they'll be like, yeah, but did you get to go to the new house? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, good. Use it against them and make all previous guests feel I like will. crap. Well, I feel Please special. Please do. If you could post this podcast on your birthday, it would be even better. All right, let me <laughs> let me hold on it. Let me hold on to it uh, for another few months. I think that seems totally reasonable. Um, what was I just going to say? Uh, no, I was going to say that the, of the many things about this house that are kooky, one of them is that this is definitely, I feel like I've determined that this is the room of the house that gets the hottest, the fastest, and the coldest, the fastest. So oh. it's the hottest in the morning because of the sun. And then I turn the air conditioning on to cool it down. And then it becomes very cold in relation to the rest of the house. It's like the coldest room for the air conditioner. Huh. So you might get some serious goosebumps, even though I wanted emotional. this to be. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's moody. It's a very moody room. Yeah. I wanted you to feel warm and loose in the tepid swimming pool of the JV Club podcast. You may end up shivering. I like it so far. I just don't know. Um, okay. I'm also the fir- not only the first podcast guest in this new house, but also the first podcast guest to poop in your house. <gasps> you 
did. Sorry. <laughs> no, I don't mind at all. I welcome it. And I am pleased that that all worked out, even with the electrician standing outside. Yeah. They I moved said, away. Oh, they moved away I, from the door. I guess I better do that before we start this podcast. I didn't yeah. tell her that's what I was going to do. Then I went upstairs to find the bathroom farthest away to eliminate the chances of someone having to go in there after me. Because mm-hmm. you find the farthest away bathroom to do that in. Sure you do. There's a poop bathroom in everybody's house. That's well. First of all, a lot of people only have one bathroom. Jenny. Yeah, a lot and then of it's people just embarrassing. Only have one so that's that. Second and of all, um, whoa, what were you say? No, then I found the bathroom, and there was an electrician and someone else standing Covering right outside in front of it. A conversation, and you still went in. I still went in. I was like, I'm, so I'm a human being with yeah. poops. Yeah, I don't want to talk about this anymore. You don't have to, except for <laughs> the problem is, is that that immediate. First of all, I embrace your candor, but also. It does make you want to ask the question, and we can skip past this if you want, but like, especially when you're a teenager or like when you first start dating someone and you're young and you just kind of, you're just old enough where it's okay for you to spend the night at a guy's house that you're dating, you know, assuming that's in college. I guess some people do that when they're in high school, mm-hmm. um, if they if they can get away with it, but that's a really... I feel like this is an episode of Sex and the City, but that is a legitimately for men and women, I think, um, of all races and creeds, of all uh, sexual uh, orientations, that the the sort of, I have to do this, am I going to do this while I'm at this person's house question is kind of a big one. Yeah, I know a lot of grown women who still have that anxiety. Yeah. I had a friend recently who who has been dating her boyfriend for a long time, but just made the decision to move in with him. And her question to me was, what do I do when I have to do that? I was like, you do it? <laughs> I didn't never really hear your answer to me. Been, you just don't do it. Can you buy the house next door? <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm less worried about doing it around people I know than I am doing it in public when there's a line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the You know, worst. like when you're in the Starbucks the and it's, or it's something, a the airport, yeah. And you know the next person has to deal with what yeah. you laid down. Yeah. And you're like, oh, God, you don't want to make eye contact and it's so terrible. Yeah, there are varying levels, I think, that people have of confidence or lack of confidence in doing it in public yeah. places and around people they do or do not know. Mostly I embrace my body. Good. Now, I don't right now. Is that different than it was when you were younger? I mean, when it comes to natural functions of my body, I don't think I've ever been too (laughs) hyper worried about it. Yeah. Yeah. Body image is a whole other thing. That took me a while. Yeah. But bodily functions. Yeah. You know, what are you going to do? I mean, you're going to do it because you have to to survive as a human being in a healthy manner. What to, so body image is different. I mean, of course it's different. It was different for you also when you were younger. Oh yeah. Well, well, I was uh, always the runt, and it took me a long time to enter puberty. <laughs> we're really just jumping. This is the war. This water's not warm anymore. It's <laughs> boiling hot. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, it's uh, well. We skip all over the place. emotional room. I know. So moody. And one minute we're just chilling on the rug, and the next we're talking about body hair yeah uh yeah we are yeah i didn't get my period till i was like 17 years old and so and and when i went into high school it was just the smallest um people thought that i was one of those kids who who was some kind of prodigy uh-huh. and they thought i was 10 when i came into high school and i got uh, uh, the rough end of the deal with that but 
yeah, so it took me a while to figure out what was happening to me and and also if it was going to happen to me. Sure. <laughs> no, that's a, that's I mean that's old enough that I can super understand the feeling that maybe somehow you've just skipped past something and it's just not. Mm-hmm. Especially because things feel like they take forever at yeah. that age anyway, even when they're not actually taking forever. Uh-huh. So to have it actually take forever, that's intense. Yeah, so by the time I was 21 probably I'd only had my boobs for two years so most women by the time they're 21 they've figured out what to do with boobs because they've had them for eight years or something and I was just like oh I'm a woman now I don't (laughs) but I'm an adult I what are these for right would uh, (laughs) where, where where was all this where did you grow up I grew up in Eugene Oregon oh great people love Eugene yeah I love Eugene yeah, Eugene's usually. I, I've learned to say I'm from Eugene, Oregon, as opposed to Oregon, because if I just say I'm from Oregon, people go, "Oh, Portland." Yes, like, many no, people feel that's, that's the only that's the only city civilization in, in yeah. Portland. Fair enough, it yeah. is almost <laughs> a lot of beautiful forests. It is. Beautiful uh, forests. Yeah, Eugene is about an hour and a half south of Portland. It's the home of the Ducks, the University of Oregon. Okay. And uh, it's very marshy, and it's a valley surrounded by beautiful mountains. Oh, it's all sounds and, so good right now. And it's kind of um, one of the original and last still standing hippie communes in America. Sure, sure. I feel like that's the majority of contact that I've had with people about Eugene somehow always ties back to something either very specific to that commune or even mm-hmm. just a general kind of, well, I wanted to be, you know, a farmer or I wanted to, you know, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of, I think my friend who lives there now has a, uh, an organic tea company. Yeah. Hemp, 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 yeah. hemp, hemp. Exactly. <laughs> was that something that you were raised with? Was that, was that an element for you when you were in Eugene or not? Not in my immediate family. That was certainly my culture, but my family was real well I guess a little bit of that my mom wasn't a hippie in the sense that she you know this was the 80s and she was really concerned with jazzercise and makeup and Avon Mary Kay and Avon and um and lots of jewelry so she she was kind of uh, she didn't dress like a hippie, but all of the food in our house was organic before anyone knew what organic was. Yeah. So I didn't know that it would be called something cool someday, but to us it was like, oh, we had to pick this food. and uh, Yeah. Did you have why like, everybody um, else get Doritos? like carob chips instead of oh, like yes. chocolate bars and stuff and like yes. sesame, those sesame honey kind of bars instead of candy bars and stuff? Yeah. We weren't allowed yeah. to have candy or soda or anything like that. Um my mom had a fruit dryer in our house and we would go to Johnson's farm and pick oh, all of wow. our food and dry the fruit. And she made, instead of buying cereal at the store, she made granola and everything was home. Like I wasn't allowed to have Kraft macaroni and cheese. It was all, you know, that's the so, good stuff, which I yeah. completely took for granted. Now that I'm an adult, that's the stuff that I eat. And I'm so happy that my parents paved the way. Absolutely. But when I was a kid, I was like, God, everybody gets Capri Suns. This yeah. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I got to go back for the fruit dryer for a second. Oh, now, yeah. what does that look like? Well, it just looks like a giant wooden box, bigger than a microwave. I would say maybe um, 16 by 25 inches. Good measurements. And it's hollow on the inside except for trays. So it kind of looks like a like a, cat- a miniature catering 
tray mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. situation. And the trays are all screens. And so you pull each screen out. And maybe there are 10 or a dozen screens. And you pull them out. And you, you have your fruit sliced up. And you just place the fruit on the screens, put them in. And then you set a little timer. And I think the ti- if I remember correctly, the timer has... Like if it's apples, you go to this setting. Okay, if that it's makes bananas, sense. Bananas, you go to this setting. Sure, and sure. I forget what it was called. It had some really funny hippie name on the side of it. It's made your house smell amazing. Oh, I bet. Um, I mean, I've never encountered one, and I do yeah. feel like there. I was around some hippies. Yeah, fascinating. I wonder if that's still something that's pervasive in in the sort of green and organic cultures. Mm. I don't know. I've never been in anyone else's house and seen one before. It would be really exciting for me if I did. Uh, Oh, yeah. Well, listen, let's make this our 100% uh, primary goal for the next, I don't know, maybe two years. I don't want to devote too much time (laughs) to it, but I will gladly give you two years. Maybe we should offer the listeners a prize if they can send photographic evidence of themselves next to one. I'm very happy to do that. I will send a listener a JV Club t-shirt if they can (laughs) provide their own. Listen, I trust you guys. You can't just go online and find some (laughs) photo and send it and say it's yours. I do need... Yeah. Some real evidence that it is. Hold a newspaper with today's date on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. Picture your, of yourself with... We're not kidding around. Yeah. The newspaper with today's date. That's almost more challenging than the fruit dryer because I don't think anyone <laughs> right. reads the paper anymore. <laughs> your iPhone with today's date? <laughs> Listen, this is how we tell things now. I want you to hold the fruit dryer in front of the television screen with the latest <laughs> episode of Scandal. That's how I'll know that it is a up-to-date photograph... That's how I get my news. Mm-hmm. That's a documentary program, right? Yeah. I feel um, like it was called Fruit Saver, but this fruit saver. like fruit with a little dot in the middle instead of a hyphen and then saver, S-A-V-R. It was something like that mm-hmm. where the second word was not a real word. But you, Listen, knew, what they, you, you, you knew what they You meant. don't have time. You're so busy drying fruit, you don't have time for no. the E and saver. Living off the land is time consuming. That's right. <laughs> but it is interesting, the juxtaposition that you described with your mom and the sort of the 80s that 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 all of the kind of there was still commercial stuff that really appealed to her even though you know this other side of things were hap- was happening with you know, probably your diet and maybe your health too where you do have sort of healthy like shampoo products and stuff was that kind of the same thing yes yeah. she she uh flitted back and forth between cosmetic lines that she would represent and sell products for. So I think she started with Avon and then graduated to Mary Kay. And then by the time I was in junior high, it was Jafra. Oh, never know if anyone remembers that they still exist. And to, to this very day, make the best almond shampoo. Oh, I've ever smelled. Good to know. I like an almond shampoo. Mm -hmm. And so I spent way too much time talking about almonds. One podcast episode, way too much time. Almonds are important. I mean, talk on. about living off the land, right? If zombies Especially were real, California. you'd be looking for almonds. That's right. To sustain yourself. Are you saying they're not real? No, I'm not suggesting that they're not real. I, I believe in zombies. Okay. I believe in something like that. There's going to be some cataclysmic apocalyptic event. Yeah. That wipes us off the face of the planet. I don't know if it's a rapture. I don't know if it's a zombie. Yeah. I don't know if it's Ebola, for God's sakes. Yeah. It's not Ebola. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's really worried about that. I don't think anybody's worried about that. Became a punchline to a joke so fast. It became Mm -hmm. a punchline to a joke while 
it was still like a thing while that it was we still were scary maybe saying was scary a second ago yeah it would have been great not great in if it was in tv land it would be great to see everybody making fun of ebola and then the next Dropping day everyone's dead. dead yeah that's that would that, right. that would be good tv irony for sure uh yeah my mom i don't know how Jeffra. i don't want to throw my mom under the bus no, no, too much no, because no. she she's not here to defend her. Well, that's what I mean, you think. She's here on here. But in here, <laughs> <laughs> huh, mom. Yeah. Huh. Um, my mom wasn't. I don't know if she was concerned with health or not. I think she was more concerned with the appearances of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So well, that feels very eighties, right? In and of itself. Yeah. And we were. Uh, I think part of it was necessity, also, because we were really poor and i know people like to throw that around a lot like oh, i'm successful now but i used to be really poor but no we were really <laughs> yeah how big was your family uh well at one point it was two kids and then when i was 10 it became three because my parents adopted okay uh so and what'd your dad do my dad's a contractor okay and and when i was really little he was working for the church so maybe that that's sort of an important element I should mention is that my family was deeply religious, conservative religious, and both of my parents worked for the church and we lived in a house on church property. Okay. Which was the only way I think we would have been able to live. In sure, sure. What was the religion? <laughs> uh, Christianity. Just? Yeah. The denomination is called Foursquare. And have you talked about this a lot before? No. Okay. And that's still... I mean, I'm fascinated. That's just not something I've ever heard before. Yeah. It's kind of... A, it's... Uh, I think that it started in the 70s and, and it was truly a hippie denomination because it was the... I don't know if you've ever seen paraphernalia of Christianity from the 70s, but there was a lot of um, like the figurine of the hand with the finger pointing up that said one way. Oh, it's so great. And like a lot of um, God, have you buttons that you would wear that would say like, religion isn't a... oh. Christ isn't a religion, it's a relationship. Like that that kind of I mentality. I am fascinated with that era <laughs> for exactly those reasons. And yeah. I wanted to quickly ask you if you've seen, and now I'm forgetting what it's called, but I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, uh, the movie that Vera Farmiga directed and starred in. What's it called? I need you to see it immediately. And I don't know what it's called to tell you, but I will remember. Okay. Or look it up. I'm a big fan of Vera. It, it's it's a it's a movie that takes place in a small town in the 70s i'm pretty sure it's the 70s if not it's right around the 70s and it is about a hippie christian commune and the it is a to me that is one of the most fascinating mashups is mm. the sort of free love 70s vibe meets jesus and right. when you think about it it totally makes sense because if you really are kind of embracing that uh that particular, you know, groovy side of Jesus. Even the aesthetic, no brainer. Yeah. Even the aesthetic version picture, the picture version of Christ that we see. (laughs) Some groovy (laughs) moo moo and like some great beard. The guy's got the beard and the hair. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. I'm looking right now to see what she, she directed it. So director. Okay. So it's called higher ground. A chronicle of one woman's lifelong struggle with her fate. I mean, faith. <laughs> um, I wanted to just give like a quick breakdown of what it was. Plot summary. 
Vera Farmiga's directorial debut, Higher Ground, depicts the landscape of a tight-knit spiritual community thrown off kilter when one of their own begins to question her faith. Inspired by screenwriter Caroline, uh, Caroline S. Briggs' memoir, This Dark World, the film tells the story of a thoughtful woman's struggles with belief, love, and trust in human relationships as well as in God. Um, hmm. It's great. It's just a small, like, they belong to this small community of, you know, it's like a small, small community. It's, you know, 50 or something. I yeah. don't know. And so there's a lot of like group therapy and there's this mm-hmm. great scene. I won't go too much more into it because this is not about this movie, but there's a, there is a great scene where it is kind of like, you know, God wants you to please your wife, man. Like, have you gone down? Like, it gets really, wow. it's a really weird combo of this sort of, you know, we're open, we're talking about our, our lives and our feelings and our marriages, and Jesus would want that, and Jesus is here, and it's really interesting. Yeah. I thought it was kind of a great movie. Um, I don't hear it talked about much, but I wonder yeah. if, it would, if it would resonate and for you. I think you. that it would resonate yeah. with me. That um, There was definitely a very strong, albeit unrealistic, sense of community. And what I mean by that is once you leave that community and go into the real world, once you're outside of that bubble, you think that's the way the world works. And then you go outside of it and you're like, oh, no, people are bad. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody loves Jesus out here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I want to go back. But once you're out of the bubble, you're sort of rejected from the bubble because you're you're of the world Mm -hmm. is the way that i felt and and what i was told yeah uh, quite frankly what what um what did what was daily life like in that sort of smaller sense when it came to i mean was there sort of prayer happening throughout the day was there well when i didn't know restricted a lot in what you could and couldn't watch or do or read or listen to and all that big time i was not allowed to have anything to do with anything secular. So so we weren't allowed to listen to the radio or buy music or watch television. If we did watch television, it was highly supervised and it was the time was limited. So my dad at one point um, on his typewriter <laughs> made these little tickets, like little coupons, and it said the bearer of this coupon is entitled to one half hour of television. Oh. And the way that you earned that coupon was by reading for an hour. So you would read a book for an hour and then you would get this ticket and I could watch half an hour of Little House on the Prairie. (laughs) (laughs) That feels about right. Or half an hour of, um, what was the, what was the animated Cosby? Oh, like, uh, Buckethead and Fat Albert. Yeah, Fat Albert. Okay, Thank that you. is hilarious. I Half love an that hour your Fat choices Albert were or... Fat Albert and Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> that was what it was. Yeah. And... Not even and, children's programming, like no. Sesame Street. Oh, we could watch Sesame watch Street. Yeah. We watched... But that was really early days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to skip around too much because I'm diluting what, what we're talking about. But No, I'm the person... I am the culprit of the skipping, so don't No, even. okay. Uh, but when I was really young, until I was eight, my mom ran a daycare, a licensed daycare inside of our house. And during that time, Sesame Street was on okay. all the time because <laughs> how could it was like Put one woman versus 12 Street. kids. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> but your parents, were they raised fundamentally Christian in some way or were they? So it wasn't just something that they they weren't born again, in, in other words. Um, my mom was born into a house even stricter than than mine uh, in that in that same vein of religion. And my dad, my dad had a more secular experience growing up but when he was 13 or so his father got super into christianity and that's when his parents split and he went with 
his father. And mm-hmm. so, and they moved to Oregon. They, he was born in California, then came to Oregon. And so by the time he was really heavily into that experience in high school, he met my mom and, and we started our own cult. <laughs> <laughs> is that a no. word that got thrown around or that has, no, been, no, has, no. has ever been in your mind about it? You know, when no, you hear other people no. talk about, it never felt like that. No, not at all. It didn't feel like that I mean, people me call all. Mormonism a cult, which I've talked about a bunch on the, I mean, I've talked about Mormonism a bunch on the podcast too. And it's, it's always that thing too, where it's like, you don't, it doesn't, I mean, I don't know how much awareness you can really truly have and how much perspective you can really truly have when you're inside something. Cause I don't even feel like, like, I feel like I had a pretty good outsider's perspective on Mormonism mm-hmm. because of my dad and sort of having a large part of my life not be about Mormonism, but I still, you know, I don't have the outside perspective that someone who never was raised with it does. You know, I was very used to on my mom's side of the family, like praying in the morning, praying at every meal, praying at mm-hmm. night. And that sounds like when you describe it, it sounds like someone, it sounds like a movie. Or it, sounds it sounds extreme. Like you, yeah, it sounds extreme. And it sounds like what you imagine you would think about someone else that you would be like, wow, that sounds like a lot. And when it's happening to you, you just kind of, well, you don't know anything different. Yeah. Yeah. I just realized that I didn't answer that question about what daily life was like. We didn't, well, being that we lived on church property, we were at the church all the time. And my How parents, big was the church? Sorry. Uh, like congregation congregation uh, started at 300 when I was born. And by the time I left, it was around 1,500. Oh, wow. And I think now it's the largest church body in Eugene. I think they're, they've expanded their building in there like 5,000 or something now. Four square. Mm-hmm. How big is Eugene? Do you know? Eugene, I think we're at half a million now, population. Okay. Is there a crossover between the kind of hippie commune and Foursquare at all? Or is it completely separate? Not that you need to know the answer. I don't think so. I really don't think that... I mean, we definitely embraced that part of Eugene's culture in our church. But it wasn't really... Like, it wasn't really the face of the religion or experience or anything. I think that it just happened to come about in that decade and so part of the congregation a large part of the congregation was made up of okay that and and also just a large portion of eugene is that mm-hmm. um okay so sorry i interrupted you so uh, mm-hmm. you were on church property so that's going yes. to come into play in daily life no matter what yes yeah, so we we went to church sunday morning sunday night uh wednesday night and friday night okay and my parents had different jobs in the church for a while. My dad was handyman for a while. He was security for a while. He was a counselor, marriage counselor. And my mom, the same for a while. She was working in the nursery and then whatever, whatever she could do to earn rent, basically. Sure. Well, that sounds creepy. <laughs> I get it, though. Mom. It. Uh, what was church like at nighttime? It was the same as as in the Sunday morning, it was just a maybe a smaller group of people, more younger people. Was it like Bible evenings. study, or was it just sort of one person kind of orating and? Yeah, no, there was a pastor mm-hmm. for all services, and um, a lot of times Sunday night was baptism night. So there's a big baptismal tank behind the pulpit, mm-hmm. and it, it's like a sunroof. Oh, it opens like. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a, a pastor gets in and he's wearing his regular clothes. And I always thought, that's so uncomfy. Yeah. He's wearing his slat. He's wearing his dockers with his belt. Yeah. And then 
pe- we were the person being baptized was in a white robe, and you'd get in and do that, and we would sing. Um, I know a place where sins are washed away, yeah. <laughs> like that. Uh, and service was I, I was I never remember being bored in service. I was always really captivated by it. And were people being baptized? Sorry, uh, mm-hmm. uh, adults or all ages? Was all it new, ages. new converts to the church? It was never like somebody. I mean, that I guess wouldn't make sense to baptize someone who's already in the church. Yeah, no, there there wasn't really a rule about it. Like this is what you have to do to at any given time. It was I, I was fifteen when I got baptized, and I was practically born in that church. Hmm. Um, they really emphasize uh, it being a personal decision. Uh, at whatever time you're ready and so yeah there would be elderly people and little kids and you know so so even people that have been in church a long time would then decide like i'm ready to have that sort of transition yeah part of the church that's really interesting yeah sorry to ask so many specific questions but as i just hear an interesting amount of parallels with a mormon church Mm -hmm. and i'm everyone knows i'm fascinated with that and so i'm interested like it's because in some ways it sounds like it's a step further uh, into the kind of groovy ask questions and make decisions for yourself side of what Mormonism kind of espouses. But at the same time, I mean, I've said this before, but you know, Mormon Mormons are they think like, well, listen, we think it's ridiculous to baptize a child because a child doesn't have the free will to elect to be baptized, sure, and and you, it should be a personal decision. But what that really means in Mormonism is when you're eight years old, that's when you can decide that you're ready. And that's when you should decide to be baptized. Oh, wow. So it's that sort of thing where it's like, it's a, it's a, it's not an enforced rule, but it's a socially enforced rule where nobody is not going to get baptized at eight who's in that's the church. That's really interesting. Do you know what I mean? No eight-year-old goes, I don't think I'm ready yet. Wow. You know? So it's like, I that, don't know, it's We had that in our church, but... The currency was different. Instead of baptizing, it was speaking in tongues. And so at a certain age, it was like, are you ready to accept the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. in your life so that you can receive the gift of tongues? Which uh, scared the living Christ out of me. (laughs) That's one of those things that from the outside goes, well, that's wacky. Yeah. Yeah. To a lot of people, that's really extreme. Um I, and so when I was 15, I felt this enormous amount of pressure to commit to that. Were people, were your friends, did you have friends in the church around that age who were already baptized or who were getting baptized? Where was the pressure coming from? Uh, The pressure was coming from the adults, Mm -hmm. not from the friends. So, uh, yeah, like there was one pastor in particular who um, felt like she was called to prophesy over my life all the time and <laughs> felt like every time I saw her, she would tell me something about my future that God, you know, God gave her a vision about who I was going to be and that I really needed to have this connection to the Holy Spirit and speak in tongue, have my language so that God could speak to me in that way about what I was supposed to do. And the idea of God inhabiting my life in that way didn't terrify me, but just watching the people who were speaking in tongues, and I put air quotes around that, <laughs> terrified me because it felt fake to me. It always felt fake to me. And I, I don't want to judge those people, but it was not right for me. And it didn't seem natural. And it a lot of times felt like performance art a little bit. 
were you did you feel a sense of embarrassment when you were watching it towards like for them or was it not embarrassment curiosity uh, because they seemed to genuinely believe what was happening i mean it, it seemed to be emanating from some place that was really important to them (laughs) and I couldn't figure out what that place was I didn't know what they were operating from it just didn't it it just didn't seem genuine and uh and I tried so when I was 15 I allowed this pastor to lay hands on me and uh you know pray that the holy the holy spirit would give me the gift of tongues and then there were several pastors around and they were all praying for me at the same time and I felt that was the most spiritual pressure I've ever felt in my life because they're just, then the prayer's done and I'm supposed to just have this gift. And so I open my eyes and everyone's looking at me and they're like, go ahead, just say whatever's on your heart. Just let the words come out. And I'm like, there's nothing in there. (laughs) And they said, um, so you said that? No, I just felt that. I was just terrible. My heart was beating so fast. Sure. Because I just thought, even if there's nothing in there, I have to just make up something yeah. in there because all these people, like this is supposed to be happening and it's not happening. Performance anxiety. Yes. Absolutely. And I remember one of the pastors saying, um, I know that in your head, the words sound silly, but you just have to just have to let them come. And over time, they'll start to sound natural to you. And so I said something and I still, still remember what it was, but I'm not going to say it because it just sounds stupid. But I, I just let this phrase come out of me that was just like a jumble of some no yeah. language. Yeah. And I just kept saying that one thing over and over again and they got really excited about it. And they're like, it's happening. Oh my God. Thank Thank you, Jesus. And, and I was like, okay, I think I'm doing it. I think this is right. And that was the one and only time that I ever practice that I guess you would say Mm -hmm. because it just felt wrong Mm -hmm. it's the only word I can say it felt Mm -hmm. wrong did you feel like did you have faith that didn't involve that side of things I mean did you feel like you had a relationship with God that just didn't involve speaking in tongues and you know yeah I felt really close to God. This is so weird. I've never talked about this before. I've really, I've really appreciated it. And I do feel you're in very gentle hands with this podcast uh, well, audience. But, um, I've but never even talked about this with like in intimate relationships in that context. This is really strange. Well, um, it's, it's hard because I think, I don't know how often that stuff really, I don't know. It just depends on what kind of relationships you have. But yeah, I don't know. It's, sometimes it's not the way you're getting to know people isn't necessarily so specific to a certain point in time. And right. maybe someone else isn't as prying into religion as I am, but I always find it so interesting. And yeah, I felt really close to God. I still do. I've been able to extract truth from the way that I was raised and I, I still go to church. Uh, and, but you know, a lot of that stuff just wasn't just didn't feel authentic to me. Um, but I look back at my diaries now from, I always had a diary growing up and all my diaries are like prayer. My entries are prayers like, dear God, this is what happened today. Please make me strong for this and this but I just and help think, me to be patient and help yeah. me to be kind. <laughs> you know. But I think that it's really, I mean, that's something that, you know, I really go back and forth on and boy, you know, I could have like a religion podcast probably, but I don't want to do that. But I mean, <laughs> I just am so interested in, I just think that's lovely. I mean, to have that extra person who, if you have, if your relationship with that, with that, uh, person or that entity in your, in your youth 
is not a, an older sibling and it's not an aunt and it's not a grandparent and it's not a parent, but it feels parental in a way that is safer, that if, if it's not, you know, God knows my private thoughts and God hate, hates me for it. If, you're, mm-hmm. if, you, if you feel you're cradled by a gentle God, mm-hmm. then I think how nice to have that because I didn't have that, do you know? I had, mm. I kind of felt like I was on my own because I didn't have faith. And um, you weren't I'm close not to saying your parents. I'm right or wrong, but you know. Well, you what? You weren't close to your parents? Um, I mean, I was, but I think when you're a teenager, a lot of the time you just feel, I mean, my dad and I had a great relationship, but that doesn't mean that I felt like I could tell him anything or, do you know? Sure. That I, I mean, especially I think that's an age where, God, not even just that age, but like, you know, I, I was duplicitous with my parents. And I'm not saying that that's, it was really terrible, but if you if you're somebody who believes that God sees everything and you have the relationship with him and you are able to repent and feel forgiven and all that it's different than you know stealing your a candy bar from your dad and never telling him and I'm not saying that that puts this huge wall between you and a parent mm-hmm. but I do think that you know for me I was going out and I was certainly not honest with my parents about every single thing I was doing and that in and of itself just like in a a, a love relationship when you get older once you start omitting things that are really a big part of you at in the at the time, whether that's an affair or something else you're keeping secret. Um, and I'm not saying keep no secrets, but like if you have a big piece of you that you're not being honest with a person who's supposed to be closest to you about, it does create that separation, right? Sure. It just does because your brain is working harder to keep those things separate, I think. I agree. Um, it, it, I guess I did feel a sense of companionship growing up and in that regard. But as close as I felt to God, the closer I felt to God, the more alienated I felt from the real world. Interesting. (laughs) Which I think was the intention a lot of times um, behind the teaching of my church. But I was so ill-prepared for the world by the time I... I was in also in private school my whole life. My graduating eighth grade class was seven kids, and they were the same seven kids that I went to church with. That everyone in the school went to the same church, and it was like this. It almost sounds like it was homeschooling, but not yeah, quite. It was. You know? I mean, Bible classes, and there was no sex education, and um, there were dress codes, and that were real not uniforms, but dress codes. Like you're not allowed to wear anything sleeveless. You're not allowed to wear anything above your knee. You're not allowed to wear sandals. You know. Yeah. Um, was there, were there people ever in your community of, of youngsters, um, if, if it wasn't you who really did rebel against that as a teenager or were there stories of, you know, oh my gosh, so-and-so did this thing that I don't even know what it is that they did, but it's huge. Yeah. All the time. But it wasn't you. No. And it was always, uh, it would be a transfer kid. So it would be a kid that was getting in trouble in public school and in the middle of the school year, they would transfer into the private school and they would have the like wild haircut that they weren't allowed (laughs) to. have like this one kid Justin Saylor I remember he had the he was a skater and he was so cool and he transferred from California somewhere and he had like a long bang over his eye and shaved on one side and everybody's like oh my god this guy is the sexiest (laughs) whatever that means so there was an appeal of the outside there was the sort of you know who is this mystery man yeah and there was another girl I think her name was Shauna I remember a gaggle of girls standing outside of homeroom in eighth grade. And I sort of 
poked my head in to hear what the conversation was. And they were talking about what Shauna got her boyfriend for Christmas. And she said, you guys, I got him a box of condoms. (laughs) And everyone started laughing. And I could tell by the looks on some of the girls' faces that I wasn't the only one who didn't know what that was. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They were all laughing anyway. And I was so worried that I was the only person who didn't know what a condom was. By the way, didn't know till I graduated high school what a condom was. Well, that's, I guess, my, my next question. <laughs> I mean, it's hard not to ask is, is if you didn't have sex education classes, what sense of sexuality, not to make it personal and about yours, but just in general, general knowledge about that and a sense of the mystery that someone else seems to have unlocked the, you know, the door to. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what Do you have a memory of? Because I don't really remember exactly when I did or didn't know what sex was or exactly when, but I think that's just because I was sort of part of this general population of people who kind of just found out at the same time or, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, Well, it definitely wasn't safe to ask questions about that in my family. Um, It was discouraged, strongly discouraged. Uh I remember. Is it a sibling, brother or sister? Brother. Okay. Older or younger? Younger. Okay. I remember and then other sibling uh, adopted when you're so she's a s- sister. She's, she's a, was she adopted yes. as a baby or was she adopted? No, as a, as a teen. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you were 10 and suddenly got a teen sister. I did. Holy smokes. Yeah. So I went from being the oldest to the middle. Was it someone you already knew from the community or no total newcomer? Yeah. Um, a missionary brought a group of kids over from Japan that were from varying backgrounds and circumstances, but none of them had parents. And uh, my sister was living in an orphanage in Japan that the church had been ministering to. And so she came over on a student visa and my parents agreed to take her on as a foster child for the school year. So she started off as a foster child and I was sharing my room with this person and did not like that. I'm sure. (laughs) That's very natural. Uh, Also, she came with... I mean, maybe it goes without saying, but she came with a pretty heavy emotional load. I'm sure. Uh, Probably has the the worst life story I've ever heard. I have a lot more compassion for it now that I'm older and really understand what had happened to her. But um, yeah, brought a lot of the squeaky wheel element into the house. And yeah, and then uh, when that school year was done, my parents felt like God was telling them that they were to adopt her. And so they did. Uh, yeah. Well, how okay, so you had that teen <laughs> sister, you had your little brother, and no right, one sex. ever talked about sex. <laughs> no, no. Uh, very forbidden. We were pulled out of all sex ed classes once we got into public school, and we would go to, they would have an alternative, like, Bible class for kids who, who were fucking weird. <laughs> that's me. That's me. <laughs> Don't talk about fallopian tubes oh, in my right. presence. That's right. <laughs> Uh, I remember, so I was very confused about my body. I had no idea what to expect or what was happening. I knew I was supposed to get my period, but I didn't know exactly when or why everyone else was talking about it and then it wasn't happening to me. Did you know what it was? I had an idea of what it was. Like if you, uh, I, yeah, just a very vague idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember getting ready for church one morning and we had one bathroom growing up. And I was sitting on the potty and my, well, my mom was getting ready for church, looking in the mirror, putting on her mascara, her little Mary Kay palette of eyeshadows. And I looked down and saw like hair 
like maybe like one or two little baby hairs going down there. This is so embarrassing. It's oh, a human being, human body. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, you strangers. <laughs> so hair on my so vagina. Grateful. Sorry. <laughs> Yuck. So I looked down and I'm like, what in the heck? Yeah. Is that? Yeah. And so I said, Mom, um, there's there's a hair growing on my I didn't even I don't didn't know what to call it. So I was like, there's hair growing where my underwear is. Yes. <laughs> and she she turned around, she goes, What? Oh, and I like pointed and I'm like, There's a hair growing right here. And she goes, I'm getting ready for church. I don't have time to talk about hair on your vagina. Oh my. Oh my. Bless. Which, which I should make into a short. <laughs> Absolutely. And that was the first and only time that I talked about my body changing because sure. I was Why shut would down. you ever? Yeah. No, exactly. I was so embarrassed. Oh my God. Already. And then just to be shut down, I was like, oh, this is dirty. This is bad. Yeah. I'm going um, to never talk about this again. And then. I'm only going to tell you this because I've heard it said before and I identified with it in such a deep way that it made me feel like it was okay. But um, once my body started changing, you know, girls have discharge. Mm -hmm. I'm really sorry for all the men listening to this <laughs> podcast. Uh, I get so many notes and, and, and comments from guys who are like, I don't know. I wouldn't know any of this. Otherwise, yeah. like it just, I think that it's actually really helpful. I okay. think that there are a lot of people who, grew up maybe not so much now because i think now we are sort of more we're of a sharing culture and i think mm -hmm. there is more of that stuff that's talked about but the older the further back you go with guys including like our generation and before and even recent more recent than that um i think there's this real like human curiosity and a very sincere um emotional curiosity about stuff like this mm -hmm. and that's why i have so many male listeners too it's not salacious at all they're just it's just the sense of like especially those um and you guys know who you are uh soon to be fathers or, or, mm. or guys who are fathers who didn't have sisters or anything who are like i don't know how girls brains works i don't know how their body but like i don't even mm -hmm. know like they're so afraid of being parents because they just feel so ill-equipped yeah. that even that this is like, you know, these kinds of stories are really good resources for dads and stuff. So I think it's great, but, um, Deep and breath. I really, and I really respect your, you know, your, your feeling comfortable or that you're pushing past feeling <laughs> uncomfortable talking about it, but jumping into the deep end things of that the happen. Yeah, listen, talk. we're going right to all the sex ed class stuff that you didn't yes. get to have. We are now providing for anyone who may not have access to it <laughs> despite the internet and public school. Okay. For all the teen girls listening out there, yeah. you're going to find a little viscosity in your panties, <laughs> and that is totally normal. Your body is developing normally. Ah. Uh, yeah, I Had didn't know what that was. Every single new thing happening, being this like alert, you know, a red yeah. flag, this thing that's happening where, you know... God, oh my God, what's wrong with me this time? Or what's this new thing? Yeah. Or what is this? And how do I deal with this? I can't even imagine. Yeah, uh... Yeah, I didn't know what, what was happening to me. And I was so afraid to talk about it and mm. so embarrassed. And well, my body was preparing to have sex is what was happening. Sure. Like, that is lubrication for sex sure. someday. And I had no idea. So I thought that I, this is in high school. So maybe this starts happening three years before you get your period. I want to say two years, different for everyone. And I thought that I was wetting my pants. Aww. And I was of so embarrassed. And, I, and I, so every morning I'd put on my underwear and be like, try really hard. I would just concentrate oh, during school. Like, no. don't. So I was running to the bathroom all the time to oh go to the bathroom because I thought I was wetting my pants. And every night, instead of putting my 
underwear in the laundry with the families. I would wash it out in the sink every night and I would hang it to dry in my closet. And then I would, the next morning, I would put it in oh the laundry because <laughs> I was so, so scared. Crazy to have to maintain those, that kind of secret yeah. on top of just being a if person. If someone would have just told me, I like know. my mom should have been buying me panty liners. Did you or, ever have this conversation no. later? Like your mom still doesn't she know. She doesn't know this you. now. No, 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 no. Uh, but that makes you such an empathetic person. You know what I mean? Not to say, but you know, like I think that when you, when we have experiences like that too, we really have a sense of when we have our own private tortures and I'm not saying sure, that's torture, yeah. but it is torture. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it is. they're There's varying wrong levels with me. There's- and that's a very specific kind of sort of private torture. And I think once you've gone through that, you're so much more empathetic to the idea of other people suffering in, in silence about anything small Ooh. or large. Um, which is like, you know, very unifying in how isolated we, we, we make ourselves in those moments and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so no girls, like no girlfriends even, well, that is, that makes perfect sense because that's not even something that you had any point of reference for at all. Right. You know, that's not a period. So you're not going to right. confide in some girl. Like, I think I might be wetting my pants. That's <laughs> no. really isolating. Yes. Oh. And then the, the, Faith, the way that I was raised in faith isolated me even more because coming from that super insular bubble of, you know, the same 30 people, 300 people that I saw every day of my life. And then, you know, my my private school ended at eighth grade, the educational level, the curriculum ended at eighth grade. And so was transferred immediately into a public school system, high school with 1500 kids who had all grown up together in public school. And I was so overwhelmed and um, such an easy target also. Mm-hmm. I was like lamb, lamb led to slaughter <laughs> in so many sure. ways. Um, I had sure. never heard cursing before. Like I, oh I didn't, gosh. going to high school, I didn't even know there was such thing as bad words, oh quote unquote. And so people were using a language that I didn't understand and... Um, yeah, the way people dress, it was all, it was like moving to a foreign country. Uh, and to, I'm sure like stimulation overload, I can't yeah. imagine. And I was so insecure. I mean, everyone is in high school, but um, yeah, just immediately a soft target. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it was no good. How were you, so how did that translate into like actually the way you were treated by your peers? Oh, it was no good. I was tortured in high school. Um, I think when you see the the picture that I'm <laughs> so scared to put on the website, but I think I'm going to donate to the website <laughs> for this example. For the sake of people everywhere who might I'm have gone gonna, through it or are going through it. I'm going to sacrifice my pride oh. on the altar of the JV <laughs> podcast. Uh, you'll understand when you look at this picture. This is the picture that was taken uh, my freshman year of high school uh, during Christmas. And uh, I just... I just looked like a foreigner. I looked like I did not belong anywhere. I looked like a homeschool freak. My mom permed, I had long hair that went down to the back of my knees straight. And then my mom cut my bangs toward the back of my skull and permed them. So I had permed bangs that went straight up. All of my clothes were donated by the church or handmade in my family. Sometimes a thrift store finds, uh, and so 
in this picture, I'm wearing the hair. Um, my teeth are all fucked up because my parents couldn't afford braces. So I've got like 10 miles of gums and my teeth are all rabbity and my eyebrows are out of control and I weigh 80 pounds. I'm four foot 10. None of my clothes fit me. It's a nightmare. I look, tra- I look like a tragedy. So I go into this huge public school and I feel... I felt excited, actually, because I rode the bus for the first time by myself. And I was like, man, I am a grown-up. I walked to the bus stop. I took the bus. I got to school, pumped up for my first day, and was immediately um, just uh, went into panic mode because everyone knew everyone else, and I didn't have any friends. And I could tell immediately that I was different from everyone. I'd never felt that I was different before. Uh, but all of a sudden, you know, everyone's a foot and a half taller than oh I gosh. am and they are all beautiful to me and they have the coolest clothes and and they all, you know, the girls are in groups of seven or eight and I just remember being totally alone and then got my class schedule and I didn't know how to find my class and so I'm, the hallway, the bell rings and the hallways are empty and I'm looking for J576 oh and oh. this senior guy comes up to me and he's like, yeah, do you need help finding your class? And I was like, oh, yes, thank you so much. Where is this? And he's like, oh, just uh, go out the building and make a left oh, when no. you get to such and such street. No. And then go out this way. And oh, I did. No. <laughs> no. I left the building and went across the street. Oh, and I was like, this doesn't feel no. right. You're breaking my heart. <laughs> this is like the most visceral <laughs> response I've ever had to any one story. Sorry. Oh, God. And then I ended up finding my class some I came back in the building but by the time I found the class I was 30 minutes late and so I walked in and the teacher's like excuse me class has already started and I'm like sorry I didn't and everyone's looking at me oh god and he's like what's your name and I said Jennifer because that's what I was I wasn't called Jenny yet um and I said Jennifer and he's like just find a seat somewhere and there weren't any seats and so I was like there there aren't any oh god and He's like, well, <laughs> maybe you should have got to class on time. And so I just stood in the back of the class. And then at the end of the class, he, he's like, everyone is dismissed. Jennifer, come up and see me. And I came up to see him. And he's like, what's your last name? And he's looking on the roster. And he goes, this is, you're not in this class. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what a nightmare. And what I, a nightmare. I went home and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried to myself. I didn't tell anyone in my house yeah. what had happened because I didn't um I didn't grow up in that kind of family. I did not have a support system in my family. Right. Uh there was a lot of like not so Christian things happening in my house and mm. I was very isolated. So just isolated all the way around and uh yeah, that that first year of high school was, was pretty rough. Um, so how? So let's fast forward to. I can't believe how much time has already gone by. It's amazing. But so so, this is a rude thing to do to say. Like, give me a snapshot of you know <laughs> if that's freshman year. Like, what sophomore, junior, and senior year? Is there a transformation formation happening? Is there a, a transition that happens to where you sort of find a pocket of people? You sort of acclimate you sort of you know who who are you by your senior year and what is that kind of trajectory like if there is one i the trajectory was not noticeable Uh i don't think (laughs) okay fair enough i think it it uh i stayed on that same trajectory i i 
just became so afraid and my my response to that sort of treatment was to isolate myself even more and just tell myself I'm strong and God loves me and I'm going to be fine. Oh. And, you know, like all of the Christian mantras that I knew, like this earth is not my home. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I should expect to be persecuted because I'm different. Oh. And so I would just, I, I did find kind of a niche with the drama club. So there was God bless that drama club. Everybody yes. knows it could so, be a real Statue of Liberty Ellis Island situation. Yeah, so I I jumped into that pretty quickly because a a girl from my church told me that I should try it and was in every play that happened in in my high school experience, and so I felt safe there. But I didn't have close friends there. I didn't really intimate with anyone. Yeah in that peer group and I I never really left high school with close friends the way I just didn't have that experience somehow I, I was just really afraid and inward and uh, I mean I think if you could see more than a snapshot of what happened like, that first snapshot I gave you was the whole four years oh, wow. it just kind of got got worse oh. from there oh god um, do you think ugh, this is a probably an inappropriate question but um <sighs> Because, like, do you think that part of your lack of development was emotional? I mean, um, do you think that your body reacted to your situation in a sense? Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I don't know. But I just wonder because I think I have had other friends who were in similar situations, certainly not as specific and that in that way similar, but who kind of physically matured when their hearts and their minds were sort of more ready for their bodies to do so. Does that make sense? Totally. I think that I was completely emotionally stunted going into high school um, because my life experience had been so limited and protected up until that point that I was like actually being locked in a... (laughs) Of just the it was a commune in a sense, just mm-hmm. locked in this little private universe for thirteen years, and then just dropped out of the spaceship into the nether regions. I I just didn't. I'm making it sound so extreme, but I really just had this surge of panic at that time in my life, and I just felt like I was barely keeping my face above water, socially and emotionally, um, and developmentally, and all of those things. Um, I always felt close to God spiritually, but that was about it. Uh, and so when the time comes for you to start talking about college and stuff, mm-hmm. what was that process like for you? Did you, did you want, you knew that you were going to be like, you knew that this particular high school experience was going to start, it was going to come to an end. Mm-hmm. And so what look, what does it look like on the other side and what are you seeking on the other side? And you know, well, I remember thinking, there was a strong focus on maybe this is every high school, but a strong focus on getting good grades so that you go into college and there were college fairs and stuff at at a certain point in the year where parents were supposed to attend with their kids. And I just knew that I wouldn't have that kind of support from my parents uh, emotionally, much less financially. That was just never going. I grew up my whole life. My dad telling me you are not going to college because we can't afford it. Mm. And did your sister go to college? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, and so I remember being like hearing those announcements in the morning about col- don't forget college fairs this weekend and bring your parents and have these forms signed. And, and I remember feeling this 
a deep sense of longing to be a part of that. But I knew full well that if I brought that information home that it would be rejected. I just knew better than to ask to be supported in that way. So I didn't. And But at the same time was like uh, maintained a 4.0 all through my high school experience and was uh, the second highest GPA in my entire graduating class and really felt like, well, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to find a way to go to college. I'll get a scholarship or something. Sure. Like, How could someone turn this down? <laughs> <laughs> I want all those things to be true. <laughs> yeah, I'm volunteering in a Were nursing they? home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the, and it just didn't happen. I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't know how it worked. I guess I just thought that somehow my transcripts would end up in some kind of lottery and then some college would send me a letter like they do on TV and yeah. like, we're pleased to inform you that yeah. we would love to have you at Stanford. <laughs> sure. But I totally understand why it would seem that way. Again, I no idea. again, you're just, no one's helping you. No, totally alone in this experience. And so then nothing happens. I graduate. And I, so I get a job because I'm going to just go to community college. Yeah. And I, that's what I did. Um, I, I got a job and I went to community college for a year and then a lot of, I don't know how to categorize it without, I just don't want to make it sound like my whole life was terrible, but there was a reason why I moved to Los Angeles <laughs> during that time. Uh, it was time for me to leave that city. Mm. So as that year, scholastic year came to a close, I, I dropped out of school and moved to LA and at that time, my parents, I was still living at home and they had no idea that I was going to college and no one was checking in with me oh my gosh. at the end of the day. No one was like, what are you doing all day oh long? Like gosh. they had no, I mentioned to my dad a couple of years ago, oh, that time when I was going to LCC and he's like, when was that? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's amazing. So it's strange. I felt like, uh, such a strange dichotomy because I was so structured in some senses and then so neglected mm. in others, so neglected emotionally mm. and physically even. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was born an adult. I had I was born with adult responsibilities and zero preparedness to, yeah. <laughs> to be to Ugh. be one. And then when you move to LA, I mm -hmm. mean that that it can really that can throw somebody who comes from even like a sort of non-cloistered world. But by that time, were you just sort of like, how much more stunned and out of sorts can you get than you already had gone through? Did you just like drop in to LA in kind of I a did. good way? And I didn't know anyone. It was sort of like starting high school all over again. Yeah. But I felt like I knew what to expect. Like it couldn't be worse than that. Sure. And I felt a freedom in being able to start over and and. I looked like a woman now and uh, I felt some sort of promise that it could be better mm -hmm. here. There was just so much damage that had occurred in Eugene. So, so much brokenness there. And I just felt like there, there was no way that I could survive that any longer. And so I felt, a, uh, even though I was alone here and it was scary and I was still emotionally ill-prepared in a lot of ways, I thrived, I think, mm. when I when I first got here. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I was an adult making adult friends and I was working four jobs and I liked all of them and I was paying rent and, you know. Oh, wow. 
we're gonna make it after all. I mean, this has been a, a real joy. And um, so sad. Uh, what, a, what an amazing, stunning story. I don't. I really thought I it would be it's, funnier it's, today. Yeah. <laughs> and I just drilled right into you. Well, listen, we started with poop, so it's not like we didn't go anywhere fun. Um, no, but like, what an extraordinary story. And I, I, uh, I just was, I'm just so riveted. I feel like I just watched a fascinating and great and emotional film about you growing up. And I don't mean to oversimplify it in that way, but what is, what is, what an more than a snapshot, you know? Um, and how inspiring to get through all of that and truly to be in a place where, you know, you to, to find your, to find yourself in a very literal way. It sounds like, you know, um, it feels hilarious to have to play a game of mash right now, <laughs> in particular because, and you know the podcast, so you know that like so much <laughs> of kind of my motivation for what some of the questions are have to do with the things that I uncover about you and your likes and your Whoa. dislikes as a teen, and you just weren't allowed to be exposed to any of the stuff that I would normally ask. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yes. Like it just so so I'm asking a lot of these questions blind, which is to say I know you'll have answers to them in the present day, which is all that matters anyway. But um, but I am asking them fairly blind. You know, I know that you didn't listen to a bunch of music when you were younger. Mm-hmm. I know that you weren't like watching a bunch of movies when you were younger. So all of this is like very sort of from the time that you started doing that till now. Like, we'll see if any of this appeals to you. And if okay. it doesn't, uh, you can punch me in my face. Um, punch you in your stupid face. Right in my stupid <laughs> face. Right in my stupid face. Okay. First thing I'm going to start with is... Um, is I'm going to go with a uh, talent that you wake up with tomorrow that you, that required uh, no learning. Like you just wake up tomorrow and you're brilliant at three things, three things mm-hmm, because you'll end up with one. All right. Number one, I am the best banjo player in the world because I, I'm taking banjo lessons right now and it's so hard. Yeah. I'm impressed that you're doing it because I play guitar and I still find banjo intimidating. Yeah, it is. It's really hard. Yeah. That's number one. Number two, um, can, can it be, can there be tears to my numbers? Like I can speak more than one language or uh, uh, it can only be one language. No, no, you can speak. Yeah. You can speak multiple languages. That can be, okay. that can be the, uh, the, the, the talent. But most importantly, Japanese. Multilingual. I would like to be able to speak Japanese fluently. Wonderful. I went through four years of Japanese and I can um, get by a tiny bit, but I'm terrible now. I, I can't. I can't even. I, there's imagine. no way that I could be in a conversation at this point, And I really regret not keeping up with that. Yeah. And um, number three. Oh, I was worried <laughs> I wouldn't have one, but I just thought of one. <laughs> I would be an amazing hip hop dancer. Wonderful. Gosh. I might join you in that. I watch I So You Think You Can Dance, and I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah I it's feel it in my gut. Yeah. I it feels like a combination of, like, like real dancing, but also just, like, maybe magic. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't think my body wants to do that, and so that immediately translates to magic to me. I just love that attitude, and it's so sexy to me, and it's yeah. so strong, and it's, it's emotional. Great. I watch So You Think You Can Dance, and the white girl's cramp, and I'm like, whoa. Yeah. I could well, never be that. Maybe you could. And maybe you will be if you get it uh, on the smash answer. If my wish comes true. If your today. wish comes true. Next, I'm going to go with. Uh, I mean, I know that you did read. So, did you have Tons. a so so so? How about three characters from fiction that could have been like your your actual real friend? 
And I say Aww. that as a person who also would have wanted that, you know, not as like a pity thing, but like I probably I feel like there are a numerous people in books that I would have wanted to hang with. <laughs> and then I kind of feel like I did hang with, right? Cuz I read the yeah. same book over and over and stuff. That's tough. From any age, you know? Because I'm trying to think, of now that I have an adult perspective on these characters, I don't think they're as cool, some of them, but uh, I would say Ramona first. Oh, sure. From, from Absolutely. Uh, Ramona Quimby. Three characters. I'm so curious about who you think is less cool now that you know more. Oh, I was thinking of the Sweet Valley High books. Oh, but you know what? I think that's a great answer. I totally understand. I was, <laughs> I'm I was like, man, I went those girls were where I bitches. was very fascinated with that. Yeah, that I wouldn't want to be their stuff. friends. No, now. you're right. Good call. And terrible people. You're right. And that leaves me stumped. Ramona <laughs> <laughs> well, and the Sweet Valley High twins. I read a lot of Jessica C.S. Lewis. Jessica. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot her name. Jessica was the bitch. I read a lot a lot, a lot of C.S. Lewis when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. But I can't remember those characters' names. But just maybe one of the characters from C.S. Lewis? Yeah. There was one book called... What was it? It was about... There were three silver pools. I'm going to say it was called Silver... Well, shit. I don't uh-huh. remember. <laughs> no, I've got it. Listen, I've got a C.S. Lewis character. Well, you, know, um, you know what you mean. And... It's so hard for me to remember these characters' names, or even okay. or even the name. All right. Well, everyone read "Are You There, God? It's mm-hmm. Me, Margaret," and I really identified. Oh my with gosh! That of course, character. In that so case, much. you know that it's Margaret because it's in the title. Yeah. <laughs> and, there, and that one I know. And then there was another. We, we let's use that. Okay. But, great. but yeah. I am now curious. What was the other one they were thinking? The other one I can't remember the girl, character's name, but it. There was this book about this girl who had a really close relationship with her dad. And I just remember the part of the book where they had a ritual where every time the dad would come home from work, she would hide somewhere in the house and he would come find her. And the way he would find her was that she would place, take off her shoes and point them in the direction of the place she was um, hiding. And for some reason, that really stuck with me. And I remember yeah. also that she was afraid that while she was sleeping, um, like ghosts or something would go into her ears. And I totally had that. Interesting. And so she would have to sleep with a cover over the ear that was exposed. Yeah. I wish I could remember the name of that girl or that sure book. Put, I think I was afraid of spiders going in my ears because yeah. I felt like I needed to cover up those ears also. <laughs> so many fears when you're little. It doesn't Just make any sense. Just even in going to sleep. <laughs> like there's a good chance something's going to crawl in my ear, oh, be it a ghost or a spider yeah. or a ghost spider. Why aren't grownups worried about oh, these things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, great. Uh, okay. Now I'm going to go, um, three, uh, well now, you know, now that you get to enjoy music, um, are there three bands that could sort of create the soundtrack to Jenny's like, like you're driving at sunset someplace beautiful. What does your, like what band or singer songwriter sort of who would kind of compose three, who would compose that kind of soundtrack? Like how do you want to feel and how, what the accompany of that meant of that is? It's a very, very oh, weird man. convoluted question, which I apologize for. I'm already thinking of three, but uh, it's, it's tempting to want to tailor my answers because I don't want to come off. To, this is going to make me sound like I'm really emo. These are all really emo bands. I'm I mean, realizing <laughs> who cares or not. That's not even fair. I'm sorry, Dawes band, because you're not emo. You're the best. <laughs> well, I have to stand by him. Dawes. Great. Uh, driving into the sunset is a very specific I imagery. Know. So Tom Petty. 
and it's freezing in here. I really apologize. I've been fine. I run hot. Okay, great. I'm vacillating for the last band between Deer in the Headlights and Johnny Cash. Mm. And I think I'm going to go with Johnny Cash. Great. Great. Even though I I hide Deer in the Headlights, (laughs) they're not even a band anymore. That's why I can't pick them. Oh, that's fair. That's a because of course Johnny Cash still is a yeah. band. Uh, Johnny Cash is okay, forever. <laughs> um, okay, next one will be uh, going with a perennial classic. Uh, three foods that you can have: snap of the fingers, no ramifications physically or otherwise. Can be as specific as one thing you had one time. Could just be like a general genre of something you love. Okay, uh, number one: macaroni and cheese. It's my favorite food of all time. Yeah. Until I'm dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> number two, cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Great. If number three is macaroni, I think we might have a problem. I'll eat them separate or together. I will eat dry macaroni. <laughs> number three. This maybe this is an odd choice, but beef jerky. Not doesn't even have to be beef yeah. jerky. Just, just a jerky. jerky. I don't discriminate. All Great. jerkies are friends. Have of you been mine. getting into like the fancier jerkies that have come yes. out, like the craves and of the world and such? Yeah, if yeah. we could really, really embody this wish fully, it would be a different kind of jerky, like just new, in rotation all the yeah. time. Oh, great! Ostrich, Rotational jerky, raccoon. Great. Okay, let's get right into the raccoon jerky. What, what can you dry out? Uh, amazing. Yeah, all of it. <laughs> what can you put on that? You know what? You can slice up that stuff and start using one of those fruit dryers. Um, <laughs> what about uh, when you said raccoon? And eating a raccoon that immediately took me to three fantastical pets that you could have um, that for some reason or other are not practical. Like, don't say dog, but you could say raccoon because yeah. even though it's a real animal. Or you could say unicorn, you know what I mean? It could be something that doesn't mm-hmm. even exist or it could just be something that wouldn't be practical to have. My first choice is a friendly pterodactyl. Great. And I can ride up in the sky with him. I just and wrote people would be Terry. Yeah, people would be scared of me, but also in the complete awe. And I would be such a, I would have a riding outfit. I'd be a real badass. Yeah, you would. My riding outfit would have a helmet with, a, you know, they have that kind of beak on the yeah. back of their head. My helmet like would have that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Uh, Terry, got it. All of my, all of my fantastical pets involve me being able to ride on them. I think it's wonderful. <laughs> I think it's wonderful. Uh, so is that a llama on your wall? Mm-hmm. Because that's my next choice. That's so friendly. Look at that sweet. It's a really cuddly llama. I cannot have a bad day if I look over at that guy. But this llama is double the size of any llama you've ever seen. Okay. Giant llama. Giant llama. And uh, number three, I know you said I can't say dog, but can I say Clifford the Big Red Dog? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Okay, Clifford the Big Red Dog. Sure. But I never have to pick up his poops or clean his barf. (laughs) No, 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 no. There's no, there's a lot of magic involved in that. He's not made of real stuff. That's correct. Yeah. You needn't worry. You need not worry. Uh, Yeah. Um, Okay. Next one is uh, three vacation homes uh, somewhere in the world. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Three vacation homes somewhere in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. Can can some of them be in the continental United States? Sure. Yeah, they can be anywhere. Okay. I'd like to have a, a lake house in Colorado. Mm, good call. I'll be your next D neighbor. <laughs> I'd like to have a... No, I don't really want to live there. I'd like to have a place in Greece. Sure. I've never been to Greece, but I've always wanted to go. Me too. Me neither, me too. 
And I feel like there needs to be a tropical one. And probably Maui. Great. Yeah. Okay. Next one is... um, (laughs) What if you could... I mean, I feel like I already covered kind of like forms of travel because you're riding all of these pets, so you could just get places <laughs> via them. What about, um, well, I'm going to go with three like times in history that you could visit. Man, history is so bad for women. Well, for sure that. That's, I guess that's true. I mean, I don't need to send you back there. Don't I guess send I was just thinking, there. yeah. No, it's really true. I've never really thought about that before as like a real <laughs> reason to not want to go. It's kind of still bad for women a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But okay, I, could th- I, could th- I could think of some, I mean, you could pick out just the imagery of a certain decade and not really think about Absolutely. the cultural ramifications Absolutely. of actually being there. I mean, I'm real into visuals, <laughs> so I welcome you to enjoy okay. some sort of aesthetic from a different time. Okay. Let's do, let's do that. Okay. I appreciate, appreciate the aesthetics of, the 60s. Great. And early 60s. So, mm-hmm. um, like, I most of my closet are, is dresses. Mm-hmm. I wear lots of dresses. I think I would fit in really well. And cooking and baking is super important to me. I would thrive. It's great. Early um, 60s. Got I don't it. mind getting hit every once in a while oh when, d- when dinner isn't ready. Oh, no. <laughs> no way. We're talking about the aesthetic. Oh, no. I forgot. I can take a punch. (laughs) Great. Early 60s. Check. Uh, I've always been fascinated with the mid 70s just because uh, body maintenance was so little. Like women were walking around supernatural. And there's something I really like about that. I get it. That really earthy vibe. Mm -hmm. I dig. And then. Hmm. 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 I mean, I kind of want to go back to Joan of Arc, but it was so bad. I would like to be Joan of Arc just because I would be a legend. But that time in history was so terrible. Yeah. So let's say this is the worst. When you're listening to a podcast and there's a long pause, it's like, just fucking spit it out. And nobody really cares where you want to go in history. By doing a mash game. And it turns out people do care because it is my favorite part of the podcast. Like I'm actually going to go to any of these places. Can I make up a time? Like, can I make up a time in the future? Yes, by all means. Okay. I'm going to make up a time in the future when time machines are real. Great. So let's say the year 2070. Great. Okay, great. I'm excited to hear what that was like. And then the final category is... Uh, Maybe I'll come back and tell you. Lovers. <laughs> is your partner? Is your... Uh, your liaison? Is your... Uh, is, it can be somebody that, you know, you have a one-nighter with or it can be this, like, person that you, you know, sort of have your life with. But um, three, and uh, can be anyone living or dead can be anyone from any era can be the young version of someone who's still alive now can be someone from fiction um i'm cracking it wide open for you three guys i'm assuming guys holy moly i really should have prepared for this one but um uh, right away i'm gonna say nick offerman but i really respect nick offerman's wife all wives i respect all wives so let's say a nick offerman type just it's a nick offerman clone i don't want to be salacious and be i like, understand if, if i could get with nick offerman does anyone know him that's I totally rude. understand and then i would say i would jump to um robert redford 
in the I'm sure people say this all the time. Probably. I don't know if I've ever it's had a Redford. Robert Redford in the Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid era. I don't think I've ever had anyone say that, and I couldn't support you more. I would put my buns on him. Yeah, great, great. Put those buns on him. <laughs> great. Okay, Redford, love it. Butch Cassidy, can't believe oh it's God, never come I up for. I don't think one it has. More. Um, I want to say Benicio del Toro, even though he's kind of rapey. Oh no, isn't he? He's a little like he looks like he could be dangerous. He's got the smoldering, the right. haunted yeah, sort just, of. But he I, represents like the skater that came. Rapey's into your, not the right word, but I feel like I want him to hold me troubled. down. He's troubled. He could be troubled. I don't know anything about yeah. him, but he is, plays those characters. Benicio del Toro. It's, if, a, it's a great. It, you've got a great representation of three very different guys on here. Benicio del Toro. If he would never cheat on me. <laughs> great. Yeah. If I could oh. have him all to myself. Boy, that would hurt bad. Um, okay, great. All right. Tell me when to stop. One, two, three, four. Stop. Hmm. You don't know if I really did four. It was five. Yeah. Shit. Uh, shit. <laughs> okay. Hold on. Uh, guys, coming back momentarily to reveal Jenny Wade's 100% guaranteed mass future. All right. Um, listen, I think you're going to be pleased with the results. Although, I don't know. There are some question marks in here that so I hope nervous. you're happy with. Like, for example, we never really landed on a particular C.S. Lewis character, but I, I will tell you that that is one of your buddies. Um, so I guess you can just go home and think about who that might be. She'll <laughs> be, be, be my guide through fantasy. That's right. That's right. Um, I want to congratulate you on... Uh, you're driving along the sunset with your very own, and this isn't even like pre-existing music. This is like Dawes makes an entirely new <gasps> for me Jenny Wade soundtrack. They wrote the album for me. That's correct. It's called Jenny. <laughs> it's called Jenny. Good job. Uh, I want to congratulate <laughs> on you, your your shack in Maui. You don't need anything fancy in no, Maui. Who cares? I be, live on the beach. So ostentatious if you had some huge mansion yeah. in Maui. So you got a shack. Um, it also somehow makes sense to me that you're chilling in your shack in Maui, eating all the different kinds of jerky that you could possibly <laughs> get your hands on. A lot of jerky. A weird a sound just jerky. came out of me. <laughs> I think we call that the jerky delight sound. Ooh. Um, also, you're multilingual, not the least of which there's a lot of Japanese visitors to Hawaii. Oh, there's a lot of Japanese yeah. influence in, in I can make Maui. money being a translator. So you absolutely could. Um, so congratulations on that Thanks. in and of itself, just being able to be fluent in Japanese, among other languages, by the way, is Ooh. quite an accomplishment. Who am I boning? Who am I boning? Uh, <laughs> I need to, I'll get there. I'm interested in the fact, this is interesting to me because you both went backwards and forwards in a way because you have your pet pterodactyl. Yes! Yes! (laughs) Yes! And yet, you travel to 2070. So you see how you're taking like the oldest thing and going into the newest thing. You're probably taking them with you. My life is the best episode of Doctor Who ever. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. And that just leaves your boyfriend... Who I want to assure you will never cheat on you. And if he did, Ooh. I guarantee you that your pterodactyl Terry would crush him and probably peck his face off. Benicio del Toro. He's going to smolder all over me. <laughs> He's <gonna> smolder <laughs> all over your body. Oh, man. In and around the Maui area. Could we just hold hands? You can do whatever you want. Okay. He's all yours. <laughs> Jenny, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Thank you for being so candid. I really think that um, it's an amazing story. You should write about it if you haven't already. It's mm-hmm. it's really, um, it's so unique, but it's also so universal, you know what I mean? And I'm I'm so fascinated and, and enthralled by, by those kinds of um, 
experiences growing up and stuff. Well, it was Thanks my pleasure. Thanks for, for letting sharing. me be in your house. Is there anything uh, that you want to tell the nice folks about? Anything they should do, follow you, see you, enjoy you in any capacity, um, in any way they want? Well, you can follow me on the Twitter. Yes. Um, Jenny underscore Wade, because some other girl has Jenny Wade. But you'll know it's me because there's a blue check. That's great. Look for the blue check. Look, Look for the for blue check, blue check of Jenny Wade. That's right. And um, I don't have anything that I want to promote right now. It's always a thrill to see you on Thrilling and to be with you on Thrilling. So hopefully that will come up again soon sometime. Except my heart. And it goes on forever. Forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs> As always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by The Amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.